0: everybody. We are back. Brand new episode of R2C2. You already know that something's a little different because it'd be C saying, we're back. Another episode. R2C2. But um, C is away this week, tending to a family matter. So he'll be back with us next week. Um, But we're lucky because we get to work with a lot of really, not only interesting and awesome, but capable people that give us incredible options for co-hosts if one of us is to miss a given week. And this week, we get to chat with a person who checks all those boxes and is also one of my closest friends. She is the lead analyst for the Nets on the Yes Network. She does work for Fox Sports, CBS Sports. She has a new podcast for um, Sirius XM. And uh, well, I guess actually the podcast... NBA Pulse, Sarah. Is that with iHeart? Where's the new podcast? That's with iHeart. I, Heart. I, I Heart. didn't want to Sorry. correct you. Yeah, you were that's on a, Yeah, yeah. And I you was already on a called
1: me capable, so yeah. I, I, I didn't <laughs> want to correct you after that.
0: Well, I, Sarah has a brand new podcast, NBA Pulse, with uh, iHeart, and she just does uh, a bunch of amazing things. And she's one of my closest friends, and she's so talented and so awesome. And we're so happy to have Sarah Kustak, uh filling in co-hosting with me on R two C two. Thank you, partner, for doing this.
1: I'm honored. I'm psyched, and you're going from one um, Yes Nets analyst to another, because you do remember when CeCe made the <laughs> guest appearance That's as right. a, a Brooklyn Nets Yes Network analyst. <laughs> that was my probably my favorite game I've ever called, was sitting next to him, and I wish we could do it again. So not to say uh, that I wish CC were here instead of you, Rooks, but maybe. Well,
0: we have to at some point get CeCe back with you um, on the pod. The three of us. That was such a good time, the three of us calling that game. And it was during still the COVID setup where the Nets, it was a preseason game on the road. I think the Nets were maybe at Boston. Um, and uh, it was pre hardened trade, but it was one of our first looks at KD, Kyrie with Karras and Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen and everything else. CC was really excited about it, and we were sitting at Barclays Center, calling off of monitors together. Um, and I'll never forget. First of all, CC did a wonderful job, um, but I'll never forget C's face when there was about thirty seconds left in the game, and he accidentally dropped his first f bomb. He almost made the it fact through. fact
1: he made it that <laughs> long, though. Oh, he was tremendous. He was tremendous. Oh, well, I, he was we'll, so good. I, I do. I don't know who we need to talk to. You have more pull than I do, Rooks, over at the Yes Network, Do I? Who has we'll, pull, we'll I guess? To, I'm not sure. I don't know, yeah. but I think it'd be an easy switch to kick Richard Jefferson, uh, you know, out from the seat <laughs> and just bring C in.
0: Do you think Ian is the one who really has pull? Maybe Ian is the one we have to go to if we really do, want to get things um, done.
1: Do you think? I know. <laughs> you know he's the one? I think that's fast. He's the
0: one. You know what's funny about this is, so... Ian and I, and this will be, you know, this will be a little inside baseball, so to speak. But some people may find the dynamics interesting. So Sarah and I work together on Nets broadcasts. We have for ten years now in some capacity, um, and uh, Ian does now about forty Nets games. I do thirty something plus, and then there's other games that go to national TV. And uh, and then Justin Shackle will fill in on a few, or Chris Carino before them. Obviously, it was Michael Grady before he went to Minnesota. But it's really interesting because you know I'm there enough that like I have very clear um, observations and experiences of dynamics, and you know kind of just our day how we go through travel and everything else. And it feels like one thing. And then obviously Ian is there even more than me, and and he obviously has. Very defined experiences and protocols, and how you go through things. And Ian and I, even though we don't ever really work together, are really, really, really close. We're really close. Like, Ian is the person I go to if I have any kind of advice that I need in this industry, in this business. He's the person who I I go to who always, like, he's just, he's had the most, like, incredible open heart to me from the time I started here. And so it feels like we work together and we do, but we really don't. We just kind of replace each other, right? Um, And you though, Sarah, you experience both of us, so I always think it's funny. So am like, I the
1: luckiest person in the, luckiest, the world? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I am. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. I am. <laughs>
0: but I just think it's funny because like you have like your nets experience always, and like Ian and I are popping in and out, and it feels very defined. But like I'm sure it's different when like Ian isn't scared of turbulence and I am, and you're looking across the aisle and seeing me like biting my nails, but and Ian everyone... maybe just sleeping.
1: Everyone has their their nuances, their quirks, if you would call it. Their the beauty of who they are, and I appreciate it in both of you. You're both one on one, so the the enthusiasm and excitement for me always always remains high.
0: What's a weird? What's a quirk I have broadcasting? Is there anything interesting or strange that I do that I might not necessarily be aware of that you are because of how Is much you time work for with the me? List. You can't well,
1: go, break out the list. You probably have talked about this on the podcast. I mean, do people know about your vocal exercises oh, they right know. before we start?
0: They know. Yes. Yes. Uh,
1: I would also say there's nothing. I, I think that to start with, I think <laughs> watching you eat your pregame meals <laughs> uh, <laughs> to make sure that that you're nourished. The fact yeah. that you have waters, hot waters come every time out. So...
0: There you go. That's a good. Yeah. I don't want to be
1: the one to say it, but you know, making That's it through my... the game if there's overtime is o- always a roll of the dice.
0: Yeah, they have to run to that bathroom at and the end. The
1: last thing I'll say, which is, it's the, the most wonderful part of it. I feel like every time I sit down next to you and you're doing a broadcast, your enthusiasm is as though it's the first broadcast you have ever done and the only one you will ever do. You have so much joy in doing it that. It could be uh, middle of the season. You could have been flying in on a red eye. It doesn't matter. You always are so excited and grateful to do the job we're doing. And I appreciate it because that that filters into all of us, that type of energy. Um, mm. It's the best, Rooks. So Thank that's you. that's the th- that's the thing that stands out to me most about sitting next to you.
0: You see, this is why I love Sarah. I teed her up to make fun of me and instead she, she granted me a, a very generous and I and make fun of you enough compliment. on the broadcast. Yeah, I that's hope true. people
1: know that it's it's because I love you and care about you and you're that's one of my best Sarah's not, not afraid actually... to needle
0: <laughs> yeah, on the broadcast. But thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. And and we're so pumped to have you and to dive into I think what's been an amazing NBA year, obviously our nets right now and what they're doing. Before we dive headfirst into hoops, which we will in a moment, just wanted to start briefly and 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 send our well wishes and prayers to Damar Hamlin, his family. Obviously, everybody connected to the sports world and beyond has had DeMar at the foremost thoughts of their mind since what happened on Monday night. Sarah, I know... For you, it's. I'm sure you had a unique experience as the news came in because you were calling Nets Spurs. I was watching Nets Spurs. I actually hadn't tuned. I wasn't going to flip to the Monday Night Football game until the Nets game was over, and all of a sudden, Troy texted me, um, our colleague and good friend Troy Benjamin, and he was like, "Dude, I think someone may have just died on the football field," and I was like, "What?" And you know, then obviously you know what's happened, and you know, as we sit here Wednesday. Afternoon at noon, you know, the latest update some promising stuff. Um, Adam Schefter, uh, it- Instagrammed out a report saying doctors saw promising signs of progress overnight from DeMar Hamlin, who remained hospitalized in critical condition as of Wednesday morning. According to a friend and business partner of the Bills' safety, Jordan Rooney told ESPN's Coley Harvey that Hamlin is still in intensive care at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center less than two days after he went into cardiac arrest on the field during the Bills' game against the Bengals. Rooney told ESPN Hamlin is still sedated, but doctors saw promising readings overnight from him that they had hoped to see by Wednesday morning um hamlin's agent ron butler told espn's jeremy fowler on tuesday night that hamlin's oxygen levels had improved so obviously it's a, it's a horrible situation um something that has everyone um on edge and thinking and praying for demar but hopefully the news keeps going in that direction sarah
1: yeah and i just um it, it, there's so many layers to this um as you said first and foremost the thoughts the prayers uh all of it not only for demar but for his family for his friends for those that he um, you know, loves, cares about, love, care about him, his teammates, the thought of that, the, mm-hmm. you know, his teammates, his opponents, those on the field, every player that plays football, I mean, it, it goes on and on. And I think you just, um, it puts him to perspective for as much as I know we're going to get into the NBA and I know mm-hmm. people are talking about the NFL and playoffs, all of this. Um, in that moment, I think, however we heard it, to your point, it was calling the the Nets-Spurs game and there was a lot of jubilance of Big lead, great game, Brooklyn winning their 12th straight game where, you know, Kiki King on the broadcast, having fun and enjoying. And then at some point um, at the end, Frank Grace, our, our great producer of Yes, had sent a text and, and gave us a little bit more on the information. And it just you, you shut down in a sense of understanding um, just what what sports is mm-hmm. in the context of life. Um, mm-hmm. and the family and uh for him i know you know everyone the sad thoughts and prayers all that but but that can take for for these players the the mental toll that takes thinking about that that could be them um thinking about their brother there there's just so much to it and so yeah just um it it hits your heart and it hits your gut in a different way yeah. um and it's something that i think we all all need to keep, keep in our hearts, keep in our minds, um, as the days go on, not just, not just in the short term.
0: And I think that, you know, one of the beautiful parts, um, of the, the sort of the communal coming together in the aftermath of what happened to DeMar is, you know, you just go look at his, the Dof- the GoFundMe for his toy drive. You know, as we sit here recording this podcast, it's over 6 million dollars. I think their goal was to get it was like 2500 or 25,000 for the tour drive and um it's over 6 million and you know you see and you saw the family statement about the way people reached out to them um and it's you know people often harp on you know what's wrong with our world and you know how much bad there is out there and and of course that exists but the vast majority of humans have beautiful hearts. And, you know, when it's not being, and our attention isn't being manipulated by, you know, social media that has algorithmically picked us apart to figure out how to trigger, you know, sort of the worst versions of ourselves or the most inflammatory versions of ourselves, you know, and people kind of like get into the humanity of themselves, you see how beautiful, you know, most of this world is. And I think that, um, you know, seeing that in the aftermath of what happened to Damar is a, you know, you never want there to have to be a reason at anyone's expense to get that reminder, of course. Um, but it's one of the sort of encouraging or uplifting aspects as you work through something difficult and dark, seeing the way people come together and they're like, wait, hold on a second. We, all of us want one thing right now. We want that man to get better. We're going to do anything we can to help him and his family, um, and so hopefully that provides his family with a, you know a, a little warm blanket of 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 comfort as they deal with the you know terror of going through this. Um, and you know hopefully uh, his spirits are are lifted by it as well, uh, unconsciously, and then he he comes out of this eventually on the other side
1: yeah and and that is like all all of those things. and I think it's just a show of in those moments of feeling helpless, it's ways that people think they can help um and and that matters, and that's important, and that's important for people. but I also, you know, think that just the the idea, the understanding of this young man was was. Living out a dream, working towards a dream, we all talk about sacrifices that we make uh, towards goals, towards dreams, compromises we make. And I think it um it is just a harsh reminder of different circumstances as you look at what those men do when they step on the football mm. field. it's it's a a sacrifice where he potentially, you know, is risking his life. And that's, um, it, again, it just, it circles back to put it in perspective and, and have our prayers, our thoughts, our love, everything anyone could do. Um, I think that's where, where you're putting that type of energy towards.
0: And, and well said, Sarah. And you know, it, it, it to kind of echo your sentiment, um, Michael K, our colleague always talks about, Hey, we're in the toy store, you know, we're in the candy store, uh, talking about what, we get to do talking about sports, you know, and, and obviously this and sports in general, um, you know, you know, this kind of puts that in perspective. Um, so as we transition to talk about NBA, we have that perspective, obviously in the back of our mind, Sarah. And, um, you know, you found out that news when you were calling Nets Spurs, it was the Nets 12th straight win. They played, a beautiful basketball game. It was the kind of game where I was watching. I was just like, my gosh, this is just, this is just so fun to watch the way they're sharing the basketball. You had Mbappe and Hakimi sitting courtside, loving every minute of it, which was just so cool. Did you go up to Mbappe, by the way? Because you didn't, you didn't. He was only three seats away. Unlike
1: you, unlike you, I think of you. I think of you when we went, um, when Kobe Bryant, of course, um, Yeah. Yeah, and Gianna were at the game, and and it was you who I went with you because I don't yeah. like to I don't like to bother people. I don't like to. You needed I know they me have there a to People the coming guys. up and yeah. taking pictures, of, yeah, and um, so no, I kind of like to let people as much as they can experience their experience they are in. Um, I obviously did take videos <laughs> and was uh was checking out what so they're you, watching. You just made it like, like creepy, of,
0: like unauthorized. <laughs> super video. Was and then in. I kept talking about
1: it on the broadcast <laughs> of uh my ad- admiration. Of those two individuals, um, their skills on the football field, (laughs) but uh, but but it was great. It was the vibe, the energy uh, inside the arena, the atmosphere. I know we had a good amount of road games throughout the course of December, but it felt different. And so Mm -hmm. to have those two individuals sitting there courtside, it was fun.
0: As a real brief aside, who gave you the greatest World Cup final recap of all time?
1: Rooks. I mean, I felt like that would be the only reason I would have to go talk to Mbappe <laughs> to tell him the the recap. I was was I flying? I can't. I was you were flying. I, I think I was yeah. in flight and my flight was delayed. There was all sorts of circumstances. So, yeah, for the listeners, uh, I did not get to actually watch probably the greatest game. Match that was ever played, and so yep. thanks to you on the bus on our way to <laughs> Detroit. Where we yeah, to we were Caesar's doing the distance. Yep,
0: to Little Caesars I feel, Arena. I
1: feel like I've I've watched it all. Yeah, that's a brilliant. That's the brilliance of your broadcast I, talent.
0: I literally gave Sarah like an actual like play by play breakdown of everything that happened. In that game, including the near chances at the end of regulation. But to your point, there was a cool energy about having those guys courtside. It's also cool, I think, when you see athletes who are as accomplished as a Kevin Durant, clearly, I'm not gonna say starstruck, but just clearly so thrilled and excited by the presence of another, you know, fellow star. Like you could see Sarah after, I mean KD posted like three or four different things on his Instagram story afterwards. There were different pictures of videos of interactions with Mbappe and Hakimi. And and, and for those who don't know Hakimi, he play, he's Mbappe's teammate on PSG. Obviously, soccer fans know and they're like, what do you mean we don't know? But for those who just know Mbappe because he transcends to a different plane, Hakimi is also you know a top player in the world who just was incredible for Morocco in their historic run. For the semifinals um, and is one of Mbappe's teammates on PSG uh, Paris Saint-Germain but they um but you could see Sarah that like even for the guys like for Kyrie for Kevin Durant for everyone in the locker room they were like oh this is cool
1: yeah yeah well because they did they came to the locker mm-hmm. room afterwards I also think just the amount of normally I don't know if blowouts are normally fun game I mean they're, right, they're enjoyable right. when it's you know your team when it's the, the team that yeah you have a little bit more vested interest in. Um but it was a fun to your point, fun game, fun style. Everyone was engaged throughout. Uh yeah, it was it was cool.
0: During the twelve game winning streak, obviously the Nets have um I think with the general populace reestablished a credibility uh for many, they've reemerged as a potential contender. Um, I think they've gotten back to a place of legitimacy when it comes to just basketball being the focus for so many people. For you, watching them play and someone who like really has their finger on the pulse of this team and has for a decade, what has stood out most to you about this winning streak? And, and even beyond that, just you, know, you could say the run of 16 out of 17 or, or really the team since Jock took over.
1: One, the understanding of their identity in the style they want to play and the consistency now that we've started to see throughout and the fact that they've been able to play how they play on the defensive end. Like that's always been with this group, even when this group was a a group on paper for the last couple of seasons and you knew the talent, you knew the offensive talent. It always came down to, well, will they be able to defend? And the consistency of which they've figured out what lineups they want to use, what combinations, the switching scheme, how they've improved in this scheme with their communication, rotations, uh, continuity. Which that doesn't happen overnight. And mm-hmm. I think there's so much so much scrutiny on this group uh, that that was the anticipation, and now you're starting to see that players getting healthy and getting whole. But they're long, and they've Mm. started to figure out how to gang rebound. They started to figure out how to get stops, and that in turn allows them to get runouts uh, to flow into their offense. They are best when they have early offense. Offensively, again, the game planning and organization of figuring out, okay, we want to play fast. It may not show up in the numbers and pace, but what that means is we're going to get the ball up the floor quickly. Kai or Kevin, they're going to take it. If they can go isolation, if we can get a quick look, we will. If not – we're going to move the ball. We're going to have a lot of actions. Um, and then the ball will eventually, if there's nothing that shows up, will find its way back to Kevin or Kyrie. And I think um, the understanding of roles of different players, there. there's just such a good um, – good energy with how the ball is moving, how they're sharing the ball. And I think everyone feels a part of that. Uh, secondly, I just think it like guys are, they're playing hard. They're having fun. They're engaged. They're playing for one another. Like that yeah. shifts everything. And that happened, I think, early on with, with Jock and just once they started to win. But the concept of winning is fun. And I think they're getting greedy with it. It's one thing to say, <laughs> but now they're getting greedy of, oh, we want to keep this win streak going. So I think the approach... Which you didn't even necessarily see at the early part of the win streak um, of how they approached opponents, whether it's the best of the best or, quote unquote, lesser opponents, their mentality and their approach is the same day in, day out. And I think even looking at the San Antonio game, for example, are, are just different. Um, that to me is a characteristic of a team that has an opportunity to be really great, that it's mm. not about who they're playing on paper. Uh, it's about improving themselves. And I think I think those things of the identity, how they want to play, and then just actually having that type of engagement on a day-by-day basis, a quarter-by-quarter basis, is something um, that's really pushed them to another level. You
0: know what I thought was interesting? In the beginning of this winning streak, Jock Vaughn revealed that they changed what they would say in the huddle. Yeah. Like, right? Like, and so he said they used to break the huddle and they would say trust. And now they say win. And his point was, he said, trust takes time to build. Like for us to just expect everybody to trust everybody. It's like, it takes husbands and wives time to build that. It takes siblings and cousins, family members, best friend. Like trust is something that you don't just like give away right away. Let's just win. And then the trust will come. And let's make winning the focus. And what I think was so critical is they literally... Because in the beginning of this winning streak, there was a lot of games where they kind of eked it out. Yeah. Maybe they were playing a lesser opponent talent-wise and just kind of you know, found a way to win. And I really think their sole focus was just do what we got to do to win today, period, the end. No matter who's in, who's out, whatever. Just, just find a way to win. And sort of embrace that. And that was the beginning of the streak. And then all of a sudden, things have gotten more and more impressive, cohesive. The opponents, and they've beaten, have gotten better. They've won blowouts. They've looked more fluid. They've talked about how the trust is growing. And I think it's all stemmed from making winning the focus. And and one thing that I heard before the season, which I know sort of got lost because they started slowly, and obviously they had a coaching change, and then what happened with Kyrie's suspension everything else— but before the season there was that focus as well where like even when like i'm listening to Kyrie in his season opening press conference at media day and he was you know asked about like you know what are you guys trying to prove and and he had some answer to the effect of like we're not trying to prove anything we know that can't be done we're just trying to win and it's it's been it was such a difference i think like from kind of the scary hours all like watch what we can do it's like nah we're just gonna try and win because talk is cheap and we now know that um and i think that them embracing that kind of like brought them to this very uh unique place of or or maybe it's not unique but to this essential place of it's all about ball just win just try and win. That's it. That's all this group. Because if you do that, everything else is going to take care of itself. Um, and uh, and that's been the focus. And they're super talented. They also, I think they put together a really good roster. You know, yeah. like whether yeah. it's Utah Watanabe or TJ Warren or signing back Nick Claxton, who has just blossomed. Um, you know, Edmund Sumner, who gave them kind of a change of pace. Um, you know, fast uh, backup guard getting Joe Harris's length back, trading for Royce O'Neal. You know, one thing people, you know, didn't focus on it mo- as much because things felt messy and they were at the end of last year. Is one of the number one reasons the Nets did not win any of those close games against the Celtics in their first round sweep is because they were so small. They were small. You know, they there was times where you'd have. Drogic, Kyrie, and Curry on the floor together. Or I feel like there was moments where you even had Mills on the floor with those three. Like they Joe was hurt. They didn't have Royce O'Neill. They didn't have TJ Warren. They didn't have Utah Watanabe. Well, now you have that's four guys I just mentioned who all hit threes who have size. And uh, and I just think the roster constitution, Sarah, is really good. And and look, there's we're about to get into the rest of the league, and there's a lot of formidable teams out there. But, and, and I think the best approach with the Nets is to say, keep proving it. Because it ha- it's been the theoretical contender for however many years, right? But I do think one thing people forget is they were besieged by injuries two seasons ago. Otherwise, they probably would have won the finals. And so to think that like, oh, the Ka- Kyrie-KD combo doesn't translate to wins. We know this. It Well, hold on a second. Like last year had a lot of messy mitigating circumstances, This year, plenty of drama in the beginning of it, no doubt. But look at the basketball they're playing right now. Maybe it does work as long as they're healthy and all engaged. And that's what they are right now.
1: Yeah, I think health is a huge factor. And to your point, last season, like when so much has transpired, you forget some of the details. The Nets were in first in the East until Kevin Durant got hurt in December. Like To your point, just there's... Um, there's not always been a lot of runway for getting used, getting accustomed to one another. I would even say that about Kevin and Kyrie mm. being best of friends for all the the actual amount of time prior to this or throughout the course of the last however many years spent together, playing together. Uh, it, and sometimes those adjustments happen immediately and are really fluid. And sometimes how you want it to best flourish and work takes a little bit of time. But yeah, but I, to your point about the roster, I think... There are so many occasions, and I know I'm sitting next to you when this is happening, where you're like, man, they're long, they're Mm -hmm. quick, they have an ability to be versatile, they also have guys that can stretch you out, and I think that's where they're in now on the defensive end, and I think rebounding is a key component of that, um, because they don't have anyone, you know, big bruising, Um, but I don't know if they need that, and I don't know if that necessarily would benefit them with the style and the way that they're playing now.
0: I I agree, and that's why it's like: Would you give up? Would you give up one of your shooting wings to try and go get someone who's a little more girthy, burly, and helps you on the glass, or are you better off having more depth there so that if one of them goes down, you're covered? You know, or or it's an it's an interesting quandary for Sean Marks. I think the bottom line is, and and one last thing on them: Kyrie is playing otherworldly. Kevin is so many role players are just on Ben really quickly, Sarah. I feel like you you were bullish on how he would fit last year when the Harden stuff was starting to bubble. You're like, get Ben here. I feel like he'd be a really good fit. It feels like, and the numbers bear it out as of now, like he's just, he compliments Kyrie and Kevin so well. What has stood out to you about Ben and his impact during this streak? Uh,
1: a lot of things you would anticipate that were what he was, Um and what you expect him now to be as he's gotten more healthy, the smothering defense, you know, guarding one through five. Uh, we talked a lot about him pushing the pace. He's done absolutely that and more with the quickness and the advancement of the ball. I like how assertive he's being in attacking and looking for some of his short shots around the basket. I I was not fully aware of twofold um. He He's tall. He's big. We know he's a, a good pass. He sees the, there are passes he sees and his ability to get it in a shooter's pocket, catch a guy in stride, whether it's a full court, whether it's a cross court pass. Um, that I didn't realize that he had such precision and such excellent vision in, in finding guys and leading guys to baskets. Um, and secondly, it's a small thing. He's a big body. Right. Yeah, He's a yeah. big body. He sets so many little random screens, and whether they're real screens, whether it's just a, a dribble handoff and, and kind of getting in front of where of players, he frees up players and gives them an extra step of room, an extra six inches, especially for shooters and your around shooters. Um, just by his feel and understanding for the game and how he facilitates the offense. That I, I think there's time and time again, I'm hitting the talk back bucket. <laughs> Uh, button to our, our producer Frank or to, to, Ben's the one who in and, and you need to be paying close attention to him or sitting where we do sometimes to see it uh but it's the little things and to me that's how he helps the offense to function in those ways aren't going to show up on a stat sheet but they're very very important for why they've been as dynamic as they have and you know what
0: when you have a bunch of guys who could who could shoot and who could score. Sometimes it's all right to have one guy who isn't worried about how many shots he gets.
1: Yeah. The only thing, the only thing to me it, yeah. at some point, especially in the post, like the free throws, I, I think it's yes. for both Claxton and Simmons. Yeah. Um, I don't think either of them have shied away from getting to the line, but I think at some point um, that, you know, that's end of the game. You're closing out of the right. game.
0: Right can you they're, have them both on the floor if they're going to be 30 some, percent? fifty percent yeah. yeah like yeah. that's
1: that those are areas that you know now we're kind of covering over but when it comes down to to really really closing out games that's going to be things that you're going to have to take a closer look at
0: well that's what's so interesting about playoff basketball is you know there are there are little nuanced differences that end up being the reason you win or you lose a game and thus a series that maybe don't stand out until you get in a series and you see them playing out. And um like one thing that was so clear to me last year watching the NBA finals is was like at this point in time in the NBA everybody you put on the floor has to at least be competent on both ends. Like you can't that specialist who you can heat seek on the defensive end. He can't yep. play in the finals. Like he, he might be able to play in the first round, maybe even the second round. By the time you get to the conference finals and finals, he can't play, yeah. you know, like, and so I look at the East right now, Sarah, we obviously did a deep dive in the Nets are the hottest team in the NBA, having won 12 straight playing Chicago uh, Wednesday night. We're recording Wednesday afternoon. This comes out Thursday morning. So we'll see if they got to 13 straight. You then have uh, it. it Right now, you have the Celtics, one, only a half game in front of the Nets, remarkably. Uh, the Bucks three, a game and a half behind the Celtics. Cavs, four, Sixers, five, Pacers, six, and then the play in territory. Heat, seven, they've been playing better lately, though. Knicks, eight, they've had an interesting wild ride lately with a lot of good, then some bad, and getting back good. Hawks, nine, Wizards, ten, Bulls on the outside, and the Raptors as well. Let's look at the top five. Five, Because I I don't know about you, I put those teams right in a different category. Celtics, Nets, Bucks, Cavs, Sixers. Only three games separate those five teams. Now, if they all finish in the top five, it's going to be essential to want to be in one of those top three spots. Because you don't want to have to go through one of those five in the first round to start what's going to be a laborious road to the finals, right? For a bunch of teams that think they can get there. But I'll throw this to you. You you know, you have your NBA Pulse podcast. You obviously, you, you call games nonstop. Thanks for the pump. Thanks you, for the shout out. You got it. You got they it. On drop I, drop I heart radio podcast. That's right. <laughs> you you see this league, you watch it night in, night out. Not just with the Nets, which you watch it plenty with that, but there's other ways you do too. Of those five teams taking the Nets out of it, so let's say the other four, What who is standing out to you or what, or what are kind of like just some of your first thoughts on thinking about those teams and projecting ahead to the playoffs? Like, is there a clear cut one to you? Is there a team that's like, ah, people don't think about them one, but come playoff time, this is going to be tough about them. What's kind of, you've seen all these teams. What kind of stands out? To you? I,
1: I think some of it is, is just our, you know, our gut when you watch them, the ebbs and flows of a season. Um, I obviously would say Boston, Um, I don't know if clear-cut is as direct as I feel or as definitive as I feel about them, but you look at a variety of things um, with that group. The continuity, continuity matters. Finals experience matters. Multiple Eastern Conference final experience with much of that core matters, Jason Tatum how he's been playing him and Jalen and figure out I know you know whatever a week or two ago they kind of hit a little bit of a skid um maybe some questions about how in general they would would they go through stretches that they wouldn't be able to function as highly offensively as the historic numbers they were putting up at the start of the season but they're a group to me that you talk about having big long switchable wings guys that can score that can play fast um they to me in some ways are a cut above the rest and I don't know if that becomes a prisoner of the moment with Milwaukee and how they've just been struggling as of late and whether that's a missing Chris Middleton whether that's a we've won a championship last season we we understood we kind of went into it of the regular season maybe we don't have to steamroll everyone to figure things out um, I think they got some players too with the Bucs that probably aren't performing, you know, Drew Holiday has has been in and out and been sick. Uh mentioned middle Like you've got some players that you would think. I'm curious how Joe Ingles continues to come back now that he is and in how his health looks. Giannis has been extraordinary, but just doesn't feel to have enough help. But it's to me, it seems silly to say that the Bucs also aren't right up yeah. there at the top of teams that you would be um, you know, think that that they could have a runway to the finals as well. Um, but th- there's a small part of me that those are two teams, whether it's a trust factor and seeing what they've done and whether it's the continuity of those groups um, th- that I would kind of give the bump to Philly. It, it, Philly's interesting to me. And yeah, you, like Philly, Philly to me, Philly to me probably is how many, you know, maybe still, but before would would view the Brooklyn Nets of health is such a major, major component mm-hmm. And their upside and their potential is the ceiling sky high, uh, but where's the floor? The floor is probably a lot lower than any of those. Other the Bucks teams, you know? or the
0: or the Celtics floor. Celtics, right. yeah.
1: Um, and before we get into the Cavs, but but that's where Philly. You know what? what d- how does um, does Embiid still look like the MVP candidate these? But does he stay healthy? You know, Tyrese Maxey is he is he back yet? He's almost back back. He's coming off the bench. Right. I don't know what's happening, but I think Did he's he, close Yes, to... he played
0: 27 minutes their game against New Orleans the other night. But yeah. so that's,
1: you know, I think just the fit of that group and the potential, because when we've seen them play well, they look so dominant. Um, and when you have a player like Embiid and, and Harden, obviously, like we saw some of the... I felt like when Harden first came to Brooklyn, I was in awe of mm-hmm. so many aspects of his game that I think are still transferable regardless of... of how his body is feeling or the conditioning he's on and what he needs to do. Um, But I have a lot of questions and I I don't have as much trust with Philadelphia, though I do think that if they start putting things together, if they have guys healthy, uh, I love Cleveland. I am a huge fan of this Cavs team. Will they need a little bit more experience actually getting into the postseason, the playoffs together? But like with the Donovan Mitchell stuff, which you know, obviously you get a little blinded. Someone coming off a seventy-one point game, yeah. uh, but but he's got a ton of playoff experience, and not necessarily obviously with the same group. But the way Garland can play those bigs—I mean, we're familiar with Jared Allen—but to have a front court like that, that though, returns back to your question of how does that play? How do those lineups translate into the postseason, and what does that look like for teams either need to match up against them or? is there a point that that's too big and you're not necessarily able to win in the manner you need to in closing out games, but um, I'm high on Cleveland and Cleveland's a team that if, you know, if I were really taking a gamble or risk, say, Hey, this, this could be a group that could make a run just cause back to the chemistry factor and yeah. join one another. Like they're, yeah, they're, they're an interesting group, but the, but the offensive side, like, I don't know where you f- feel in terms of postseason basketball or the possession game, but when there's teams that may potentially have struggle scoring and you need a bucket, are yeah. you going to be able to get a bucket? That's where you know that's where sometimes the question marks then come up with that group. It's
0: it, it, it's so interesting. First of all, the NBA is just such a wildly entertaining product. It, it really is. Like the other night, I'm watching the show. KD and Kyrie are putting on with Mbappe watching, and and then all of a sudden. Donovan Mitchell dropped seventy one, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And then you have like what the Thunder did to the Celtics Tuesday night, and you're like, "Huh?" You you know, it's just, it really is great. And right now, the thing that stands out most to me about those teams we just went through is they're all really good. You know, like they're they're all really good. Like you can make, uh, it would not surprise me at all if any of those teams were in the conference finals. Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me one bit. And it might surprise me a little bit if like the Cavs made it to the finals because it feels like maybe they're still young in their journey. Right. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Sixers did. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Nets did. It wouldn't surprise me obviously at all if the Celtics or Bucks did. You know, and that's not even accounting for like a Miami who obviously seems to have taken a step back from last year, but is always dangerous, always lurking and playing a little better. And we know they play well that time of year often. So there's a... It's not just... Sometimes parody can mask mediocrity. This is not mediocrity. This NBA season is loaded with really good teams that just happen to not have huge separation from each other. And Sarah, that's before we even get into the West. In the West right now, one to six <laughs> are separated by four games. One to nine are separated by four and a half games. It's ridiculous how close they're... And after Golden State had their, like, you know, Steph got hurt aftershock struggles, now they've won five in a row and are, are starting to play well. And obviously, we'll get Steph back Um and, you know, up to speed and and be a team that probably isn't going to finish, you know, 3-16-ish and 16-ish on the road, right? Like, they're going to figure that out at some point. Denver right now is the one. I, I never thought Nikola Jokic could win a third straight MVP because usually... He keeps playing, oh, I he's gonna, Right? Like, if the season ended today, he would get the award most likely, I think. Like, and he... I know people say, what about Luka or what... But what he's doing right now in the Nuggets and the, nuggets they, the and One seed. it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. his numbers,
1: are, to your point about the high-level basketball, and then I'll let you get back to it, so yeah. of every night. Uh, it, when you're locked into either a game you're calling or the team you care about, or what, sometimes you lose sight. I'm always like, wow, this was unbelievable. And then you start scrolling through stuff, and you're like, wait, Jokic had What? <laughs> I Wait, know. I know. Jonathan Mitchell had said what? What? And but to that, but what Jokic is doing, I d don't get numb to these numbers. And yeah. it's not just the numbers. Like you watch him and wow.
0: And it's amazing. Like I usually there is a narrative component to MVPs. We know this, you know? And so there's usually like a fatigue with one guy or um a you know, redemption story or, uh, oh, he finally got his, like, I think when Russ and Harding got theirs, there was a feeling of like, you know, the narrative was working in their favor, even going into the year. Cause it was like, oh, like it's time for them to get it. Right. And like with Giannis after he wins two straight, it's kind of like, okay, he's kind of off the board mentally. Cause it's, you know, Jokic, I would have thought like people are gonna be like, all right, like you know subconsciously or consciously I think like, people
1: were yeah. I think people were heading and into it
0: and now he's just been he, look at if you're not checking the box score for the Nuggets games just you know go on the NBA app or ESPN app or whatever you use and just start like just looking at what Nikola Jokic is doing each game and then winning it Denver's one of those teams though that has not been able to get all the critical pieces healthy at the same time if they do Sarah Can they emerge from a West that right now has Denver as the one, Memphis, who's dealt with their own share of significant injuries as the two, New Orleans, who has dealt with their own share of significant injuries as the three, and right now, now Zion out uh, for three weeks, which, Sarah, I know you and I have the Nets-Pelicans game on Friday in New Orleans um, uh, for yes. Dallas is the four. They've won seven straight. Luka, Luka might... He might actually, I think Luka might be leading the the odds right now for MVP. Five is Sacramento. Six is the Clippers, who are lingering as that team that might have the most robust talent. They put it all together. Then Portland, Phoenix is the one that's kind of really falling off and Golden State, who I think many will see as the favorite until they're not as the nine. Where do you kind of mentally slot Denver with what they're doing and their chances of representing the West in the finals?
1: That's a great quote. Well, because you started going through all these teams. I think first, let's look at the, cl- towards the bottom of the yeah. standings. You, you said it about golden state. It doesn't matter where they're sitting in ninth. Now five, it doesn't matter where they sit. The question to me is going to be what do they do anything at the trade deadline? What, you know, how do they get healthy? Do they get whole, but with their type of experience with Steph um, for all those reasons, you could never discount them. The Clippers, the question mark will always be, can they get healthy? And if they can get healthy, is there enough time for Ty Lue and for them to actually have some some room to work with to get things together? I think at some point this season, you may know better than me. I was reading this had to be before, but him saying, like, oh, if we just get at least like 15 games together. It yeah. <laughs> so, was like yeah. wild when you think about that yeah. in the context of, of 82 games. But But I would put those two teams in a separate category. Um, for the, for the star power they have at the top and also the experience, like the veteran experience and the experience they have, I like guess, different experience for the Warriors and Clippers, what they've ac- actually accomplished.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So you would put them kind of like, I, w- I would two, put them be in most like
1: different intrigued by yeah, where I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they were healthy and playing yeah. well, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I'm really fascinated, I, Luca. You said a Dallas on a seven-game win streak. Luca has been extraordinary. I'm just not sure when it comes to the playoffs um, that he will have enough help. That he does truly have enough help. Have enough help that you can trust. Agreed. Denver, Memf- Memphis, and, and New Orleans are all fascinating to me. Um, but circling back to your Denver question, you have a a MVP and Jokic who's. I think year by year, I think the other factor with him, he seems to add to his game every mm-hmm. year and his ability to read defenses, read coverages, Michael Malone kind of figuring out where they want to put him initiating the offense on the floor Um our buddy Bruce Brown, like talk about an ad like him of oh he's off. been Jokic, so good for them, yeah. been shooting the three ball really well. Um, assuming Michael Porter Jr. can stay healthy, I think Jamal Murray too. Even just him coming back from injury, the more he gets uh, acclimated. So that's that's a long winded way of saying like yeah, I absolutely think they could win the West. And if you told me they were playing in the finals that wouldn't surprise me because I think this is a group that there was expectations of that in some capacity, or at least be towards the top of the West the last couple of seasons. And they kept getting hit with some of those injuries uh, that I think in terms of pieces and the pieces that they have, especially with the parody of a lot of those teams in the top of the Western conference or the youthfulness of it, you know, Memphis is, is a different type of club and, and their brashness and uh, their confidence in how they play. But I think just the different styles of whether you look at the Pelicans, you look at Memphis, you look at Denver, I think all of those matchups to me are really interesting because you have different styles of play in each of those teams. And when it comes to the postseason, like sometimes that can be varied or altered, and who is most dominant in really dictating how you're playing.
0: Memphis and New Orleans are the two really intriguing ones, right? Like it, it be, for as far as like just new teams on the rise who are led by, you know, face-of-the-league-type stars with Jaw and with Zion, um, but who have a lot of talent around those guys. Like, you know, I mean, we saw the way Memphis was still able to compete with Golden State last year in the playoffs after Ja went down. But what's amazing about Memphis is they draft guys, no matter where they draft them, They hit on every pick. Like they just have a roster loaded with NBA capable players. It's crazy. And so even if they go a long period of time without Desmond Bain or without John Morant or, you know, if Dylan Brooks is out or whatever it is, they just have so many NBA capable bodies and they play so hard and they're so confident. They have such a, you know, spice to them that I think they just like have this attitude like, yeah, we're going to win, you know, and. Last year, they did have a pretty significant postseason run when you're talking about building a foundation to then eventually get over the top, right? Like, they took Golden State to the brink of a Game 7 in the second round. You know, they were tied with five minutes to go in Game 6 playing on the road without John Morant. Um, And then New Orleans, if you really look at the pieces of New Orleans and the way they all fit together like their roster is actually one that you would be like, hmm, if all those guys are there and they're all healthy, like, yeah, that's a team that can win a championship. It's crazy because they have not yet had the the journey through the playoffs to put in our minds, I think, the legitimate idea of them like going to the finals this year. But really look at their roster and and look at if they're healthy and the way the pieces all fit, right? And then look at the some of the Vulnerabilities in the rest of the West, even amongst the really good teams, and then like say like, okay, am I totally convinced that that's not the most talented team in the West? Like, (laughs) like, I think you could look at New Orleans and say, nah, you know what? I like that roster best. Like, and if that's the case, then should we be writing them off just because they have not yet gone on a deep run? I think Sarah, for me, I still would lean towards if Golden State's healthy, I'll.
1: Would ride with them? I'll
0: pick them. I think I still would. And I think the Clippers I'd be wondering about. Right after, Clippers I'd be intrigued by, but I think I'd go Golden State. Then I would go Memphis because Memphis showed me last year that they got some postseason experience under them. But then I think I would go New Orleans and then the Clippers, like just because I need to see. And then a... Denver,
1: Denver at the bottom. Oh,
0: geez, no, no, no. I was just forgetting about Denver. Yeah, no, I would go. Let me rephrase. Because Denver's go Golden had Golden State, Golden State, then Denver.
1: Okay. Yeah. I would go Golden That's where, State. Yes.
0: Yeah, then Denver, then Memphis, then New Orleans, then the Clippers is how I would look at it right now with the field. But, but the the fact that it, I think like. Being able to legitimately say, like, yeah, like I could see New Orleans like going to the how
1: finals. Much, how much are you influenced by, we're going to say for every team, you know, as always, health, health being if, if healthy, if healthy, but how much are you influenced in your perception of that because of the amount of time that Zion has missed? Because of him looking yeah. like an absolute gangbuster in well, just, Ingram,
0: too, missing so much time, yes, right? That, like, yeah,
1: exactly. That those two players just w- with their track records, um, that it's hard to put full confidence that they will actually be. It's more than just, oh, yeah, if everyone's healthy, but it's something that you've seen time and time again, those, those players missing some time.
0: Yeah, you know what it is? It's like, and they've been winning games with those guys hurt, so that's actually encouraging to me. Um,
1: by the way, Willie Green, I think is a stud though. Yeah, great like,
0: coach. Great, great coach. coach.
1: Guys buy in his his game plan strategy. Like, there's a lot of little things I've been watching New Orleans that people in New Orleans raved about him when he first took over. Um, but to watch his progression, I think has also been something special.
0: You know, it's interesting you because there's certain te- like there's certain players on each team that it's just the way this sport works. Like, you're not going to win. Like, the Nets don't have Kevin Durant, they're not going to win. You know, there's no other reason besides that. If the Bucks don't have Giannis... Don't
1: tell Kevin that.
0: <laughs> well, ultimately, not <laughs> a single regular season game. If the Bucs don't have Giannis, they're not going to win, right? They're not going to win a championship. If the Celtics don't have Tatum, they're not. But then there's that, like the Warriors don't have Curry, but then there's that next layer, right? Where like certain teams where you're like, I feel like it's more of a thing with them. And I don't know if it's... A, like, I feel like Milwaukee even though last year they ended up ultimately losing to the Celtics, like if you told me they weren't going to have Middleton for two rounds of the playoffs, I'd be like they still could find their way through those two rounds, you know? If you told me the Pelicans weren't going to have Brandon Ingram, I'd be like, as good as they've been in the regular season without him, I'd be like, no, like they're not going to. So yeah, like the injury factor, whereas like with Memphis, I actually would be like more likely to be like, no, I think they might be able to spackle it together. I've seen it enough. Um, maybe not ultimately, but further. So, the New Orleans definitely having those guys totally healthy is is key for me. I also think it's a continuity thing. Like, I think it's an essential thing for the Nets that they get all these reps together because they haven't had them. You know, like for Golden State, it's less important, obviously. You know, um, for Milwaukee, it's less important. For Boston, it's less important. But come playoff time, you're going to need that continuity, whether you have it from years past or you've been able to build it this year. Um, Sarah. Because I
1: also think, oh, no, I was going to say, because I also think, too, one is continuity. Two is you look at the playoffs and how you're scored. Like There's a lot of teams that thrive offensively or a good chunk of teams that thrive offensively in the regular season because they're creating points off turnovers and they're getting second chance points. And, you know, it, they're getting a lot of quote unquote easy baskets. Um, but that more often than not, you're not going to get in the postseason because mm. it's more of a possession game. Things do slow down a little. Uh, you're not necessarily going to be turning teams over a ton. Like the, there's more value in some of those things, the, the concept, and you know, this as well as anyone, the concept of a a entire coaching staff being able to scout and prepare for a opponent and then seeing them two days later and three days later Um, that alters for as much as teams. And then that's why there's regular season teams. And that's why there's playoff teams. But I also think that factors in when you're looking at lineups combinations at why teams are excelling or having success with a plug and play type of players or next man up mentality um, because of maybe how you're, you're, Generating wins as opposed to okay, well, how will that function when you know rotations are, are tightened down and you're playing in, in different ways in the postseason? And I think that type of stuff factors in,
0: no doubt, Sarah. Um, this has been wonderful. You are the best. Uh, we could do look, we could do a million more hours on anything. We certainly could do. Uh, a long deep dive pod into your amazing career and, and what you've accomplished. No, thanks. Um, we don't need but, to do
1: that. <laughs> but
0: but I know my friend well enough to know she'd rather talk NBA. Um but uh I just I just want to ask you one real quick thing about yourself. what one thing I appreciate as a play-by-play broadcaster is I but the first of all there's a million things I appreciate about you. I love like your silliness and how it brings out the best of me on air. I just I I love that dynamic. It's so fun, but I also really appreciate how prepared you are. Every single game, every game. What I know is like, Sarah is always going to know like where the team is and their rankings and the league, and it, like you're always aware of how they're playing lately. It always feels like you have been watching each. NBA game of each and every team. It's amazing. And it's something I really appreciate as a play by play broadcaster because it just makes it that much lighter a load. If you were gonna say one thing, and you don't need to you know go all into the prep. But if there's one thing that you're like, I have to always do this to feel prepared before a game. And I know there's fifteen things. But what is like the biggest staple of your game prep?
1: Wow. I didn't know you were going to come with the heat. Yeah, this that's of a right. Question. Um, can I say one, but kind of two? Yeah, I I, ca- I care a lot about I care a lot about how a team um, generates points. Even mm. saying that, and whether that comes from are they getting turnovers? Are they a good rebounding team? I mean, I know this is is one thing baked into twenty things. Um, but the important factors of how they defend the three, how they shoot the three, those type of things, those type of team stats, um, that I think gives you a lot of insight as to how a team plays and how they feel through the course of a game they feel like they're playing. So there's some teams that are not good rebounding teams and they're used to giving up a lot of rebounds. And so you may look at something and be like, wow, this is this is a major factor in this game, but there's things they think that they can weather Um so that matters to me you know are they and and i think the three-point line has become such a major factor so i think you know one collectively as a team um but two uh for each individual player how they're shooting the three like that that's something i always want to know is how how does a guy shoot for his career how is he shooting this season and how has he been shooting lately um and yeah i mean i would i would say those and then i just think You could look at numbers and it's different courses of the season. Um, But to me, I think it's easy. Numbers can be very deceiving when you're looking at the whole as opposed to what's been happening in the last three games, five Mm -hmm. games. Um, And so that's always like I always look, whether it's a guy or a team, um, what has been happening recently and then what's been, you know, the compilation of the whole season. Because uh, that type of stuff, I think, it informs us a lot throughout the course of a broadcast. If someone gets hot or someone's been cold, or um, you know, just what what a team's doing. I don't know if I would stick with that answer if you asked me it tomorrow. Because now <laughs> I'm starting to think of all the things that matter. Because but... you
0: do a million things to prepare, as do I. You know, and but I, there, so I think, yeah. but
1: I think, but I just think there's there's those baseline. Are, was, nah. those are. Ba- what about you?
0: That, those that was a really good answer. You know what? I'll have to think about that. I, I i don't know what would be there's so many things i think there's a million things i do um but the maybe the most important i don't jeez it's so hard i like having all the league rankings yeah knowing putting in context where a team is on everything and um and i like to know i like to f- know how guys play. So like is this is this inside oh, okay. their game or is this not? You know like so like kind of have a scouting report of some sort on each guy. Like is he a black hole when he gets the ball in the post and don't be surprised
1: when he doesn't pick out of double. And I think that's double. the beauty of that's yeah. a great point of why yeah. I get teased a lot for how many games I are watching stuff or watching, you know, a bad game. Like why did you sit there and watch this 20 point bl- cuz I think those are the things you pick up um that then you have a better feel for. Yeah. Uh, As you're watching. watching Agree.
0: And then you kind of know. Sarah, you're the best. Thank you for doing this.
1: Rooks, like I said, I'm honored.
0: I'm honored. Well, we appreciate having you. Cece will be back next week, everybody. Happy New Year to you all. You guys know the deal. New episodes every Thursday. Bonus episodes as well. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe for free. It's R2C2. And you can download our podcast or stream it wherever you get your Pods. Thanks to Atta. Thanks to Sadie for all their production work and getting us grooving every week. And thanks to my colleague, friend, the Emmy Award winning MBA analyst Sarah Kustak for stepping in today as my co-host. You the best, Kust. I'll see you in New Orleans.
1: You are. Back at your roots. Peace, everybody.